Hey, Freshwater. Here we are again in the barn. Should be my last Sunday here under quarantine. Uh, Rook's fam is headed the right direction. So uh, it is what it is, right? Keep moving forward, keep pressing on. So this morning, we're just going to continue in our series now back in John. And I invite you to turn to John chapter 2. And as you're going and turning there, our story goes into the Passover, which is crazy because we've just talked about the Passover a number of times here over the last few months. So if you're unfamiliar with it, let me just give you a real quick uh, reset on what the Passover is. Uh, around AD 1200, something like that, Israel had been in, uh, enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. God finally sends Moses to let my people go as it were, and it takes 10 plagues to convince Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let Israel go. The last plague being the angel of death who passes over the land of Egypt, and every firstborn is killed except for those who have sacrificed a lamb and painted the doorposts or doorframe of their house with the blood. The angel of death would pass over them, and the firstborn would be spared. After that plague, Pharaoh finally relents and gets Israel out of here. Fast forward about 40 years, God comes to Moses. Moses is about ready to die. Israel's about to go into promised land. Deuteronomy 16, God says, hey, look, I want you all forever, like a never-ending command, to celebrate and to remember the Passover. And so there were several things about that from Deuteronomy 16. The, the Israelites had to travel to a house of worship, so if they were close enough to, to Israel, which is I think around 15 to 20 miles, something like that, you had to travel to Jerusalem um, for a seven-day feast or to the close house of worship, wherever that was in the land. Each family brought their own animal to sacrifice for worship, there were six meals that they would, I mean, every meal for those six days would have unleavened bread. Why? Because when Israel was going to leave Egypt, they didn't have time to let the yeast um, work its way in the dough and the dough to rise. They just had to eat flat bread, unleavened bread. So that was part of that. The diet was remembering that. And then the final thing that they had to do on the seventh day was have this service that was a, as a God said, a solemn assembly to the Lord to remember his salvation and his provision. So they would do this every year. He commanded this Deuteronomy 16, and it's a forever do this more kind of command. Fast forward 1,200 years about, right, to Jesus's life. John chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So 1,200 years later, Israel's history on observing the, the, the Passover was spotty at best, but they were doing it now and, and had been doing it for quite a while. In Jerusalem, during that time, it's about 50,000 people. And then it would blow up over the Passover feast, that seven-day thing, to around 300 to four or 500,000 people, depending on the year. So imagine Wadsworth. We've got, what, around 20, 25,000 people, township and city. Imagine 300,000 people coming to Wadsworth. Like, that would just be crazy, right? It's pure chaos. It's a big party, right? I mean, it's a huge celebration, but that's a lot of people. And the story as it goes, 
Jesus comes to the temple and, and everything's going great. But then something happens there. You, you, you see in the temple, there's the ox and the sheep, the pigeon and the money changers. And, and as we look at this, this piece of it, um, what's happening is people who, who were coming from a far distance didn't have the ability to drive whatever it was, the oxen or, or the steer or the sheep. Um, or carry the pigeon, whatever they had, they, didn't, they, didn't, they couldn't take it that far. So they would actually go to Jerusalem anticipating that they would buy an animal to sacrifice. And God made it available, made sacrifice kind of scaled, right? So the poor and the wealthy could participate according to their financial means, which is really cool. So they're going to Jerusalem, and, and they're there, and you have the ox and the sheep and the pigeons there for sacrifice, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But the problem was the location. And the problem was what was going on in there. Because there's a couple things that were happening. The Jewish leaders required uh, their own, they had their own form of money because they said any coin out there that has the image of, of some other king or whatever, oh, that's actually idolatry, that's breaking the second commandment, which is just ridiculous, right? So they forced everybody to change their currency into temple currency, and the money changers were there, and of course, the fees were there, and the, the, you know, basically almost extortion to some degree because the people didn't have a choice. They had to play in temple money. And of course, the priests got a, a cut of that, right? And then you have the animals, and they would charge a higher price. And of course, the, the animal people selling them in the pens over here would make money, and of course, the spiritual leaders would get a cut of that. And, and then the priests themselves would actually come along, and they were famous for looking at a sacrifice and saying, oh, no, that's not a perfect one, somebody that would bring an animal in. They no, no, that's not a good one. You need to buy one of ours. And of course, they would get another cut of that extortion, stealing from the people of God, basically profiteering from something God has commanded. Hence, when Jesus looks at this, he starts to make this whip of cords, right? Starts to sit there and weave something about. And what's happening is people are, it's not only, it's the chaos. Think of this, there's all these animals in there. And then there's also the extortion going on. So you have all these things happening in the temple area. And I want you to imagine like these large pens for cattle, right? Large pens for sheep, the, the huge mess of it all, right? The, the sound of it all, the chaos of the cacophony, I love that word. And this is happening all in the Gentile court, right? The courtyard for the Gentiles, which, which made it in, effectively impossible for anyone in the Gentile courtyard to connect with God, to worship, because it was so chaotic. And verse 15 records this moment where Jesus is making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out all the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. Now, what's interesting when you read this is it seems like Jesus comes on this scene and sees us and reacts. But actually, Jesus had seen this every year of his life. You go back to Luke 2, Jesus celebrated the Passover every year with his parents. He came to Jerusalem, it says that. He'd been watching this go on in the temple, 
in the Father's house, a place that's supposed to be sacred, holy ground, a place where people are supposed to be able to meet God. Like, that's the place you meet God. And he'd been watching it his whole life. Year after year, people coming in, and the last thing you'd expect to do is to meet God in that courtyard. So yeah, he gets some cords together, rope. He braids them together into a whip. It wasn't a whip like a weapon, right? I mean, they, they prohibited that You couldn't bring a weapon into the temple courtyard. And they would frisk you. So there's no knives, there's no sword, stuff like that. Whips like the, the whips with the metal tied to the end of it. None of that stuff. He braids together a whip to drive animals. I was looking at the art um, just the, the art that we've seen in church history over the years that de depicts this moment when Jesus is in the temple driving everybody out. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure, maybe we'll be able to get these up on the screen uh, here. I'm not sure because you have to do some editing or not. But there's these pictures of, of Jesus and, and literally all the pictures are, are Jesus whipping people, scaring people. There's hardly any pictures out there or paintings where Jesus is actually driving cattle, driving sheep. In fact, some of the pictures show the pigeons flying in the air. Well, Jesus didn't, didn't just open up these little boxes or cages that were holding the, the pigeons and let them go. He didn't do that. He didn't take people's source of income away from them. What does that look like for you? Like, how do you picture that scene? How do you picture the building? How do you picture the people? How do you picture the animals? Like, what, what does that look like in your mind? What does the courtyard of the Gentiles look like? Like, do you have that in your mind? Up on the screen is a picture of the courtyard. And the temple's in the middle of it. Hopefully you could see this. Or you can get online if, if we weren't able to edit it in. Does, does your picture or your mental picture of what the courtyard looked like, does it look like this? Th this scene here, hopefully up on the screen. When you drove on to Freshwater's campus today, if you take the entire campus, go from the Blue House property down there on the south side. I'm, I'm actually, if I'm looking at you guys out in the audience, it's to my right, right? It's to the south. So the blue house down there, north side of our parking lot, you go all the way back behind me, if you're looking up at the screen, to the trees there, and I think it goes in about 100 feet into the trees. That whole campus here of freshwater, that's 14 acres. The courtyard of the Gentiles, 14 acres. I mean, did you, did, you, did you have that as a picture? Because I always had this picture the courtyard wasn't that big, right? The courtyard is 14 acres. The people of Israel coming to celebrate the Passover is probably around 300,000 people. They had pens, big pens for the cattle and for the sheep. This was a, a massive... 14-acre courtyard. Money changers in one place. Sheep in one place. Pigeons. Cattle. Jesus braids this cord of, and puts these cords together to create a, a whip. 
And what he does is he's got to drive these animals out of the courtyard. You don't do that by suggesting to cattle, hey, would you go this place or to sheep? No, you get a whip to drive the animals out. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's driving these animals out. And so many of these paintings and, and what I think people have in their minds is Jesus is whipping people. He didn't whip people. He's whipping the animals. He's whipping the cattle to drive them out of the courtyard. And imagine if there's 300,000 people in there, how many in the city area, let's just say that, even 250, right? Oh, it's so small, 200,000. How many are in that Gentile, the courtyard of the Gentiles that day? There's got to be a lot. Right? There's probably we got what? Two, three, four, five thousand people, maybe ten thousand people in the courtyard. Can you imagine just the chaos of all this? Trying to drive these cattle out of there, trying to drive the sheep. And so he's he's getting this and he's going over to the, the money changers. He tosses their stuff, turns it all over, the corruption of it all. It's an intentional assault because he's been watching this his whole life. He's been watching it every year coming and seeing this. And I think what does get captured well in these paintings is the violence and the, and, and the, the anger Jesus has, the forcefulness. There's no please. There's no excuse me. And, and tragically, I think what's, what's happening here is it's not only just because of what he has seen as he's been growing up there in Jerusalem, walking on the roads, right, being in Jerusalem. As God, he has seen this happen before. It's not new. There's nothing new about this. In fact, he's repeating himself when he quotes this passage out of Jeremiah. He says, take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. Somebody said, actually, the, the translation, it could be actually den of robbers, den of thieves, if you read over in Jeremiah. And what's happening there, which happened, what, 600 years earlier? He's already said this and seen this happen before. Because Israel, the spiritual leaders, northern kingdoms destroyed, southern kingdoms left, and the southern kingdom's so messed up. And if you read Jeremiah 7, what's happening is the spiritual leader's like, oh, we've got the temple, we've got the temple. And they treat God like this little tiny genie in a bottle. We just rub the bottle. As long as we've got the bottle, as long as we've got the temple, we're good. And we can do anything we want to and bring anything we want to in the temple. It just doesn't matter because we got the temple. Look at us. And God is so tired of it. He ends up saying to this, this group of people 600 years earlier, and he says it again because it's nothing new. You trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods you haven't known, and then come, stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, oh, we're delivered. We got the temple, right? only to keep on doing all these abominations. And here's the quote. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I, I've seen it. I'm watching you. I see what's going on. He quotes that passage, and the Jews know. The Jews know that passage. Oh, they totally know it. They know what he's quoting. The response of the Jews is, is fascinating. It's telling. So the Jews say to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? 
And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple in three days, I will rise it, or raise it up. And the Jews then said, well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. How, how are you going to raise this up in three days? And then John explains he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. You know, what's interesting is no one actually disagrees at what Jesus is doing or disagrees with what Jesus is doing. No one says this is wrong. I think that's really telling. They all know it's wrong. Every single person there knows it's wrong. All of them know it's wrong. No one had the courage. No one had the passion for the Lord and his house and, and for people connecting to him to stand up and say, enough, no more. In previous years, actually, they used to have the animal pens outside the temple over across the valley, over there on the, uh, the Mount of Olives. That's where they actually would do it in, in the previous history. Um, they knew it was wrong. So they come to him and they say, who do you think you are? Like, what right do you have? Who died and put you in charge of the temple? And I want you to think about this. Imagine this scene, right? We're in the courtyard. Now imagine, what is Jesus doing this moment? Is this after he's all done? Is he over in the corner, cross-legged, lotus position, just calmly teaching? Right? I, I don't know. Scripture doesn't say but it seems to me as I read this, it's right in the middle of all of it. Because he's driving and he's overturning and they're like, who do you think you are? What right do you have? And I have this image of Jesus. I don't even know if he stops. He's, I don't think he stops. I don't think he even maybe even turns to look at him because he's driving the sheep and he's driving the cattle. And they're like, who do you think you are? What right do you have? And he goes, tear down the temple. And I will raise it up in three days. And he just keeps going. And they're over there like, what kind of non-answer is that? Like, that doesn't even make sense. You can't tear down this temple. It's been 40 years under construction when Jesus is there at this point. 40 years. It's a massive building. There's no way you're going to be able to tear this down in three days and build it back up. And Jesus doesn't give a rip right there in that moment that they don't understand it. This is a moment where he is just, it's him and the Father, and, and they're fed up. They're just fed up with the fact that here they are, here in the place where people should connect with God and encounter Him and His holiness and His purity and, and, and be able to commune with Him and hear from Him and interact with Him. Here in this place, it's just so messed up. I think He just gives the answer and moves on. And what's interesting is the disciples understand it later. Jesus is actually saying, look, I, I, I'm the sign. I, I, I'm the temple. He was about to die and be raised to life so that everyone will be invited into a relationship with the holy 
God. And, and all of a sudden, this temple that he's in, that's so big, this 14-acre campus and whatever that Herod had built, this temple trying to recreate it and make it even better, it, it doesn't matter because he is now the temple. In Revelation chapter 21, it says there will be no building, temple building, because Jesus is the temple. He's the person. He's the place. He's the means where people are finally able to connect with God. No more sacrifices. No more animals. No more separate courtyards where you have the Gentile courtyard and then you have the temple proper that we see there on that map. And you have the courtyard of the women who, who can't get in with the Jewish men. The Jewish women can't get in with the Jewish men. And the Jewish men can't get in with the priests. And the priests can't get in with the high priest. There's no more distinctions and separations. It's, it's Jesus, the place and person where everyone connects with God. And what we cannot miss in this story is how desperate, how passionate Jesus is to have people connect to him. To know him who is holy, pure love. He is so angry when people make it impossible for others to connect to him and worship him and know him to come in prayer and 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 it still happens today i think it's still the greatest tragedy that keeps happening is i i meet people today who used to go to church and they say after not going to church for decades why would i ever go to church it's the last place i would ever encounter god like i never met god when i was there and, and what we do is it's different, right, in this age. What, I mean, you see this over the years, right? Let's, let's, oh, no, 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 we've got to worship God in a different language. Let's do Latin because that's the real language, which Jesus didn't even speak Latin. But we make it in a foreign language and it makes it impossible for anybody to come into the courtyard and worship God because I don't even understand what you're saying. Right? Or, 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 oh, no, no, the leaders all got to dress up in weird clothes. Let's put on clothes that are weird because that, that's the only way you can really connect with God. What? You kidding me? Come on. Oh, no, no, you got to read the Bible in the Old English. It's the only way you can read it. What? Jesus didn't even speak English. That's so stupid. And it gets in the way of people even connecting with God. Well, I, I come in and go, who speaks like this? I'm not Shakespeare, right? And we're forever inventing barriers and forever creating stumbling blocks for people who just want to come and connect with God. Or, or I know, hey, let's, let's make prayer, let's make prayer impossible for people. Like, how many of you listening here, whether here, you're in the room right now or you're online, how many of you have ever said, don't ever ask me to pray, I can't pray? I don't know how to pray, because a prayer is like something a pastor writes during the week and then reads it on a Sunday morning to make himself sound justified for pain, or, or I don't know. Like all of a sudden, prayer is this impossible thing that only the few know how to do. What a messed up thing. Or, or make it about the money. Just ask Joel Osteen about that, right? Your best life now. Let, let, let's just do that. Let's just make it your best life now. But let's not talk about the cross. Let's not talk about the resurrection. 
Or, 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 oh, I know. Let, let, let's make it all about that. See, we're still polluting the church. We still pollute it. We still bring it in and make it about everything else but connecting with God. There's a Bible study. Bobby Johnson, she's a co-pastor of Hillsong. She teaches women that you have to have plastic surgery in order to keep your husband's attention. She's teaching Bible studies like that. Like we still do it today. People who follow God, the leaders are forever still tainting and corrupting and hindering people from just connecting with Him. Look what, let me just see Jesus. He's just, he's so mad because they just messed it up. Like all he wants to do is just connect. He just wants people to come in and pray. And prayer is just relationship. It's connection. It's I want to know you and I want you to know me. And I want to put my love in you. And I want to put my joy in you, my peace in you. That's, that's what he wants. Like, the first place you should ever expect to connect with God is here. It's here, and it's not because it's like, oh, we come in and we're like, oh, we got to fold our hands and pray. No, because prayer is relationship and connection, so it can be laughter. We can be laughing our heads off on a Sunday morning. We can be weeping. We can be celebrating. We can be mourning. We can be silent. We can be loud. It, it's all of those things as we relate to him. My house will be called a house of prayer, a house of connection, connection, my people, with me in relationship. I want to invite Pastor Jake to come up. God wants to connect with you right now, and I don't even know if you know that. He wants to connect with you. He doesn't care if you don't have the right clothes. He doesn't care if you don't have the right version of the Bible. He doesn't care. Like, old English kind of thing. I mean, yeah, don't, whatever. He doesn't care whether you think you know how to pray or not. He doesn't care how long. He doesn't care your background. He wants you to connect with him. So much so, he drops this little thing. I'm the temple. Tear it down. I will raise it up so that I can be connected to those who love me. His desire right now in these few moments is this. For some of you, he wants to connect with you because you... You're so filled with anger and rage, and you, you can't flip the switch off. And right now, what he wants to do is just take it away in prayer, in connection, and give you peace. For some of you, you're so scared. You're so filled with fear, whether at home, whether, whether here. I, I don't care. where. What he wants to do is take the fear away and bring you into his presence of, of safety and protection. For some of you who are hopeless, and you just you just don't have a clear path forward or what the next day and why should I even look forward to the future. What he wants to do is come to you right now and pull that hopelessness out and fill you with hope. 
He wants to heal some of you. He wants to speak to some of you and say, I see you right now. My house will be a house for a house of connection. Lord, Holy Spirit, come. For everybody listening, Lord, you know what they need to hear from you. You know what they need to receive. And if you're listening right now, just say, God, I, I want to connect. Help me connect. Please help me connect with you. I want to connect with you. Like, Holy Spirit, come. No noise, no chaos, no false motives, no messed up leadership, no, just you, you and your kids, your sons and your daughters. We've come to remember again, you saved us. You saved us, and you provide everything for us. Hear us as we reach out to you, as we pray and connect with you.